0: This morning, I want to talk to you about the blessing and burden of bearing the Christ, and I want to do so from two different uh, passages of Scripture this morning. I want to begin in Matthew today, and so on your smartphones, you can look up Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. or you can direct your attention to the screen in in behind me. Also, after I leave Matthew 1, uh, 18 through 25, I'm gonna look at Luke chapter two, verses one through five. So would you either direct your attention to the screens or to your phones and hear now and listen deeply for the word of God. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Now listen for Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It reads as follows. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirin, Quirinus, Quirinius, that name Quirinius, Quirinius when Quirinius <laughs> was governor of Syria and all went to be enrolled each to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary his betrothed who was with child. This my brothers and sisters is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The blessing and the burden of bearing the Christ. I don't know about you but we've got family traditions at my house for Christmas and this year, well, every year actually, every year, uh, my husband Derek, uh, before we open our presents, kind of helps our family to focus on the meaning of Christmas, why we actually are having this celebration. So Derek tends to ask God for a word for us as a family, and he brings that devotional thought that morning as we gather together as a family. And for those of you who don't know, I have two children, they're young adults now, and so I see all of you, and I think of them because they're, they're my pride and joy, and I love them, and I love who they've become as human beings. And so Omari, Mia, and I, and Derek, this year we gathered to do what we do every year, which is have our family devotion to begin our Christmas morning. And this year, believe it or not, my husband was led to lead a devotion for us on Mary. <laughs> those are those moments where you feel like, God, talking to me. And so my husband opened up, you know, scripture and began reading about the story of Mary. And you can imagine I was flabbergasted because I knew what I was working on in preparation to be here with you. And he comes to family devotion and he's going to teach us uh, about Mary. And I was just really surprised. One, because he's a guy you know, and I didn't think he'd gravitate to the Mary text. And so I asked him, honey, what was it that drew you to the story of Mary? And he said that usually in Christmas, we focus on the baby Jesus. He said, but he felt literally drawn by the Spirit to focus on Mary because of the difficult political climate that we were living in right now. Is that right? That's what the husband said. Hey! I told you I'm going to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. He said that the election, the political climate that we are living in, the whole dissonance of the world in which we live caused him not to focus on Jesus in the manger, but the dissonance of Mary having to go through the blessing and the burden of bearing the Christ. He said by reflecting on Mary, he was helped to realize that we, too, like Mary, are called to give birth to the Christ in difficult situations. And that's why this year or last year, our family devotion was focused on the life of Mary. You see, yesterday, we, st- we learned together that Mary said yes. And on one level, that's enough for celebration. Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. We saw how the Holy Spirit is the same spirit of the living God that hovered over the deep in creation and brought something out of nothing. And Mary now knows that she doesn't have to be with a man in order for God to do something new in her life. She understands it and she's open to it. She is willing to make herself available to God. I love a song that we sing on occasion in the black church, and it simply says, Lord, I'm available to you. Do what you will, Lord. And that's exactly what Mary, a slave of God, told God. You get to call the shots in my life not me. Be it unto me according to whatever you say, because I know that you watch over your word to perform it. And so, Lord, I'll stand on that. And so, on one level, we would be excited with Mary that she has so said yes to God. But the truth be told, in the text that I have read for you, we are going to now discover with Mary that there is both a blessing and a burden to bearing the Christ. You see, it is not always easy being the person through whom God does something new. And the church said, amen. It is not always easy being the one who has an innovative new way forward. It's not always easy being the one who has a new idea. It's not always easy to be the one who brings a new perspective or a different worldview. It's not always easy to try to do something new in something that has already been well established. It is not easy to be someone who God bursts something new through. So in the Matthew gospel, we learn that when Joseph heard the news of Mary's pregnancy, he he made plans to divorce her privately. Now we can only imagine what that must mean. Can you imagine having been engaged to someone that you have been planning your life to be with, that you trust, that you know intimately, that you have pledged your life and fidelity to, and then she tells you that she's going to have a child? And before we anesthetize the Bible and make it sound like some sweet story, you would be devastated. And so was Joseph. He didn't know what to believe or who to believe. He wasn't sure if Mary was delusional. He didn't know how to make sense of it. He knew for sure he wasn't the father. (laughs) He was clear about that. He doesn't know he has to wrestle on the inside but what do you do with love that's gone wrong what do you do when the person that you have trusted the most seems to have betrayed you in a way that you couldn't have even imagined how do you live with the dissonance of that kind of betrayal I don't know how long he wrestled with it. I don't know how long he thought about it. I don't know how long his heart was broken. But at some point, he has to come to a decision about how do you move forward in the face of this kind of confusion and this kind of complexity. And he doesn't know what to do. He does know he loves her in spite of it all, in spite of what she seems to have done to him. He doesn't want to disgrace her. He's not trying to make her a public shame. So his best conclusion is, I can't marry you, but at least I don't have to disgrace you. And his plan now is to do as much as he can to divorce her without it becoming public knowledge. But the fact that Joseph has planned to divorce Mary especially in a culture where two individuals just don't find each other and say, I love you, you love me, we're going to get married. They don't live in an individualistic culture. They live in a communal culture. So that suggests what about this relationship? That this is not just a covenant between Joseph and Mary. This is a covenant between their families. So if Joseph knows that she's pregnant and that they can't get married anymore, the families also know. Uh-huh. Now you're in the Bible. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Stop reading it like it's a fairy tale. This is real life stuff. And this is real hard stuff. Put yourself in that that place and just imagine. Now the families know that he's thinking about divorcing her. So they know about this pregnancy. He didn't believe her and they didn't either. I'm talking about the blessing and the burden of bearing the Christ. No one believed Mary's claims that something supernatural was happening in her life. No one believed that God was at work. I wish I had a witness this morning. That weird place of in your heart knowing that God has been speaking to you, prompting you, and no one in your fellowship believes you. No one in your church seems to get you. No one in your small group is resonating with what you're sensing. I can only imagine outside of the family context and a shame-based culture the kind of ridicule and scorn and condemnation that Mary must have endured. Just let your sanctified imagination go there for a minute. I don't know about you, but church folk can talk about you in the most interesting kind of ways. They really can. Amen. They'll turn it into a prayer request. We ought to pray for Mary. (laughs) Yeah, they'll turn it into a prayer request. Somebody was praying for Mary behind her back. Lord, yes, she. Uh huh. She said she was so sa- uh huh. She was so devout, like God did her a favor. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I bet it was a favor. Uh huh. Somebody was talking about her, the young women who thought they should be the one that God should pick, who felt that they were better than Mary, more pretty than Mary, that they felt that they were the one that God should have chosen, that they were more devout. They went to the temple and they 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 sought God more than Mary did. Maybe they were putting the, doing the comparison game and deciding. You know what? She shouldn't have been the one. Any. Anyway, nobody believes that it should have been her. And, and, and so there was probably gossip going on at the well. I could almost hear them snickering behind her back. And so somehow she's got to hold all of this on the inside of her. Maybe, just maybe, they have really drug her through the mud. I told you that Nazareth wasn't the best place to come from. And this could have now come back to play a role in what people were saying about her. Because remember, I told you, it was the place where people came through on a regular basis. It was the the place of one-night stands. It was a place where people came looking for someone for the night. And somebody could have said, well, if it's not Joseph... Maybe they could have accused Mary of getting pregnant by one of those sailors or one of those transient men who frequented their way through Nazareth. All I'm here to tell you this morning, my brothers and my sisters, is that Mary's life was turned upside down. Literally, whatever plans she had for her life have now been completely changed. The wedding is off. So whatever plan she had made thus far, whatever things Joseph had already built with his hands for their first house together, done. The bridesmaids who are waiting to be her ladies-in-waiting, who are going to celebrate with her and fawn all over her, that's not going to happen. The wedding reception where her family was supposed to be the talk of the town because that's what weddings were supposed to be. Everybody came from far and near and there was celebration for days on end so that they could really celebrate two young people who had done it God's way. That's not going to happen for Mary. If she had a dress, she's never going to get to wear it. Who am I talking to? That's what it feels like. For God to conceive something new. That's what it feels like to be in a place where God is doing something in your life and you can't explain it. It turns your life upside down when you say to God with your whole heart, be it unto me according to your word. Mary probably had no idea that that's what her yes was going to lead her to. And if that was not bad enough, and I hope I'm giving you the show enough clear picture of this thing, because we tend to make Virgin Mary this nice little baby that just skipped her way right through the tulips. Not so. (laughs) Not so. Not so. This took courage beyond words. This took tenacity that I don't know many teenagers have. Ah. And if it wasn't bad enough that her family group, her community and the folks around her were questioning her and doubting her and accusing her, Mary was pregnant with a God-given purpose in an unfavorable and hostile political climate. And that's just the truth. The Jews were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And the Romans used to do a heavy tax as a way of demeaning the people that they conquered. Did you know that? They would kind of assert their dominance over any group that they conquered by forcing them to enroll into a tax system where they had to declare how many people were in their family, how much property they had, and Rome would take so much of it. And if you dared not show up, you would incur the wrath of the Romans. In order for Joseph to comply with this type of oppression that was mean to humiliate and demean and to tell the Jews, don't you forget who's in control here. Don't you forget who this belongs to. You live here because we let you live here. And if you don't do what we say do, the way we say do it, when we say do it, we will cause you to feel the wrath and the consequences of daring to stand up against our political power. How dare you think that you're anything other than folks we control? And so Mary and Joseph have to take a 90-mile trek 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem and this girl is pregnant now 90 miles in a car is one thing 90 miles pregnant walking or even if there was a beast of burden 90 miles pregnant is a difficult journey and the Romans could care less She had to show up, Joseph couldn't protect her from it, and so pregnant they make a four day journey because the Romans make them do it. And if the Roman oppression wasn't bad enough, wasn't enough to feel egregious at a time where you're going through hell and high water in your personal life. So now you have political opposition and you've got personal accusations and If the Roman oppression wasn't enough, Herod the Great is the king. Good God Almighty. (laughs) Oh, turn to your neighbor and say, that's really bad. That's really bad. I mean, mean, couldn't God give us a break and give us at least a nice king? Oh, Lord, if we got to be under Roman oppression, at least the king of the Jews could be a just person, a righteous man. But oh, no. Oh, no. We got Herod the Great. Hey, hey, hey. Well, it's just the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. He was a ruthless leader. A narcissistic, paranoid leader. That's just a he was. He just was. <laughs> he was. <laughs> this is a man who would kill babies. Any child under two years, they'll randomly kill people's children just so no one would be a threat to his political power. This is the king. This is the context in which Mary has said yes to something new. Something new was getting killed and oppressed all over the place. And God still decides to step into a political climate that literally threatens the existence of the Messiah. I hear God saying, God's not scared. <laughs> Even when the conditions aren't favorable and the folks that's around us leading us are nuts, God still ain't scared. I, I don't know. I don't know. But God still ain't scared. God says, I'll show up in the midst of the most politically tense situations, the most politically divisive situations in the midst of leadership that frightens you. I will still be God. And the anointed one will still. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. The anointed one is yet anointed. He'll still set the captive free. So, 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 in the face of all of this, in the midst of an unfavorable political climate, Jesus was conceived and born. And that's a message that the church must understand. We must receive this because we're asking some of the same questions in this day and time. It is not by accident that God led us to this theme and to this narrative. For such a time as this, it was not a political positive environment. No. Mary is facing opposition and difficulty from within and from without. My brothers and my sisters, Mary and perhaps we find ourselves in the dark and difficult liminal space between the now and the not yet that's what theologians talk about this place in the middle this place between the promise and the fulfillment of it that place between the yes and, uh, and, the, and the reality of the yes. That place of, uh, of confusion that place of chaos, that place of complexity and, and I pray that Christians will learn to deal more with complexity. Sometimes our answers in my view are too simplistic life is a complicated thing and it's not an easy thing to live we don't have just right, wrong, yes, no answers this is a complicated thing with which we live and, and, and issues with which we deal and they need people who can grapple with complicated concepts. We need more than a Bible verse and a quick story. We need to deal with the tension and the dissonance of a birth on the same day and a death on the same day. That's what we need out of the world called Christianity right now. I hope you hear me because many people think that our analysis of the social world in which we live is way too simple. And we're living in complex and confusing times. And the church said, amen. amen. And they need to see that we can grapple with complexity. It's this liminal space between the now and the not yes. Not the not yet that causes us to feel isolated. It's that place where no one else around us has experienced or encountered what we're going through. It's that place where nobody believes our story. It's that place where we keep trying to say it over and over again and it feels like we're hitting our head up against a brick wall. It's that place where we can't explain it to other people because we don't fully understand it ourselves. That it's a God thing. And I wish I could put human language on it But it's God's doing And I don't know how to quite experience it Or explain it myself I sense God pushing me I sense God nudging me I sense God calling me And I can't make you believe me All I know is that in my soul I sense God doing something on the inside And it's starting to work its way on the outside And it's bringing about a change in my life And I can sense it and I know it And you can't make me doubt it I just can't explain it the way I wish I could. But I know that I know that I know that I know that God is doing something new. Maybe you can relate to Mary. Maybe you can relate to what it feels like to wait for the promise of God to be revealed in your life. Maybe you do know what it feels like to live in this very difficult, dark place between the now and the not yet. Like Mary, perhaps you are living right in that tension right now. Maybe you wanted to God to conceive something new in your life and you did say yes. You came on staff. You took that risk. You made that switch. You took the Opportunity to say yes to God And you did stand on God's word You believed it even though you couldn't See it you prayed for it And God is indeed doing something New and you have been attempting To explain it but you are not Quite sure yourself Maybe just maybe What's happening now in your life feels Like a pregnancy Awkward Confusing and a bit out of control. Well. Well. That you felt like you used to know yourself, and you used to know what you liked. And you used to know how to navigate, but this new thing that's happening on the inside of you is kind of causing you to have to alter things that you never ever thought about before. And even your friends are noticing that you're a little bit different. And you don't know why you get sick at things that used to never made you sick before. Ah, you don't understand why this stuff now turns your stomach. You don't understand why the joke that used to sound funny don't sound funny anymore. The, I don't know, but something on the inside is causing you to have dissonance. It's hard to explain it, but you know what's happening. Maybe, just maybe, you felt called to leave your church, and you said, God, after being here so long, I can't stomach this, and so you left, but now you feel so lost, so alone, not quite sure where to go next. Maybe, just maybe you have become convinced that reconciliation is more than a relational commitment to be multi-ethnic. Maybe, just maybe, you have come to the conclusion that reconciliation without reparations won't work. Maybe, I don't know, just maybe, just maybe, you read the Bible and you saw that God says that we were supposed to be the repairers of the breach, not just the lament of the breach Ah, but the repairers of the breach maybe we were supposed to fix something maybe we were supposed to be reconciled for a reason not that we would be able to sing songs in different languages but we would heal the land maybe that was the goal maybe that's the purpose of reconciliation maybe that's what God is trying to do but now you're perceived as a troublemaker and you don't know if you fit anymore. I'm talking about the dissonance. I'm talking about the dissonance. I'm talking about the merry place between the now and the not yet. Ah, this is like Good Friday and Sunday morning. Right in the middle, that Saturday does you some harm. It's tough being on the Saturday. Maybe, maybe, maybe God has put a growing conviction in you like God is doing in me, that diversity includes disabilities. I've got students in my classes who say to me, Dr. B, when are you going to use subtitles? We love you, Dr. B, but you need to wake up to the reality that diversity includes disabilities. Why can't you describe what the picture looks like for those who are sight impaired? And maybe, just maybe, like my dear students who are trying to challenge me to wake up You have been trying in your church, in your organization, in your context, in your community to say, could we not be more uh, involved, more engaged as the church to welcome all people made in the image of God? Could we not? Could we not take accessibility as something that reflects our care for all people? Maybe, like me, you have come to understand that immigration reform is plain necessary. Maybe you have come to the conclusion that you would put your own body on the line to stop anybody from being taken out of this country who came here like everybody else's parent, trying to find a better life for themselves and for their children. Maybe, just maybe, you have come to the conclusion that that was supposed to be what God called us to do when God said love the stranger and protect the immigrant in your midst because I was the ultimate stranger. And that's what it is. When you welcome the Christ, you welcome those who had nowhere to go. And when you welcome them, you welcome me. And you have come to believe that is the word of God. I wish I had time to tell you what God is teaching me about immigration. I wish I could tell you that I was in Washington, D.C., and a Southern Baptist white pastor who had absolutely nothing in common with me. We were as different as night and day, and I confess I judged him. Until I heard him tell his story. And he said, I am a pastor. And he said it with a strong southern (laughs) draw Of a Baptist church. And he said the city in Texas. (laughs) And he said that a man was shot outside his church being robbed. He heard the shot. He ran out, saw this man bleeding from the leg. He was trying to wrap something around his leg and the the pastor said, let me take you to the hospital. And the man refused to receive medical care for fear that if he dared went to report the crime, that he would become the criminal. And that pastor said, I wouldn't do that to a dog. And he said, I am here advocating for immigration reform because I now know that the people that we fear are people who are being preyed on. And people take advantage of the undocumented because they know that they can't go report it to the police. Women are being raped, unscrupulous business dealers, are taking advantage of folks and taking their jobs and taking their money and never paying them. And they go hungry. And so for you, this has become a non-negotiable, and you know it. Like Mary, I believe this, my brothers and sisters. We are living between the now and the not yet. This is where this text finds us. And we are now having to discover for ourselves as individuals and as a movement that there is both a burden and a blessing to bearing the Christ. But I'm here to tell you that Mary also shows us something else. She keeps pressing. She takes that 90 mile journey because she understands that she is pregnant with purpose. She's not just pregnant in general. She knows that she's got something on the inside that God has put there. And when we know that God has put a purpose on the inside of us, it helps us to press our way in the face of difficulty and uncertainty. Mary keeps going because she got a word from God that said, You are pregnant with the Messiah. And she now takes care of that calling. She protects that purpose, and she presses toward the fulfillment of it because when you know what God has called you to do, when you have a sense of purpose, it will help you to face the big questions with more courage and more clarity even when you don't understand. When you know it's God, you hold on to that thing. When you know God gave you a word, you stand on that. And so here I want you to know this. As my husband Derek began to deal with us at our family devotion and he began to bring us to a close, he said, you know what I believe about Mary? I believe that Mary was pregnant with a purpose and her purpose caused her to begin to ask bigger questions. And he said, my prayer for us as a family this year is that we would begin to ask bigger questions. Questions that he says are redirecting questions. He says when you are really pregnant with a purpose and everything around you seems to be contrary to it, it makes you begin asking yourself and the world around you other things, bigger things. My son is looking for a job and he said, you'll start asking bigger questions like, then what job should I get? He said, you'll start asking bigger questions than who's going to be my wife or my husband. You start asking bigger questions than where's the check. You start asking bigger questions that actually redirect you. So he said to us as a family, and I say to you as a movement, what does the world need from you right now? Derek McNeil said, I want us as a family to begin to ponder the question, what does the world need from you right now? Not what do you like, not where should I go to church, not what should I do with my job. It's a deeper question. It's a more profound question. It's not whether I should live here or there. It's what does the world need from me right now? What does the world need from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship? Right now, in the light of this political climate where the word evangelical has lost its credibility, what does the world need from us right now? That's what gets you in touch with the purpose of God on the inside. Mary was pregnant because the world needed a savior. And that's what she said yes to. In 1994, I was at the University of Chicago and I was listening to Dr. Cornel West speaking in Rockefeller Chapel. It was a packed house. For those of you who don't know the name of Cornel West, he is a prolific philosopher, theologian. public advocate for justice and we were hanging on every single word at the end of his message which was brilliant by the way he said something that I will never forget he said my brothers and my sisters what I'm asking you for is not optimism." He said, because I am no longer optimistic. He said, optimism suggests that I have hope in what I see. Okay. And he said, what I see does not give me hope. He said, instead, what I'm calling us to is a massive leap faith, And that is exactly what I'm asking of us. Mary took a massive leap of faith. No doubt she had no idea that this would play out the way it did. But she said yes, and she took a dive into the confusion and into the complexity and just plain trusted God. And for us to move forward in this generation, it's going to require a massive leap of faith. Cornel West ended by saying, we have got to act in spite of the evidence. And I can't make any promises. All I can tell you is that I'll be right there with you. When you jump, I'll jump. If you go, I'll go. If you don't go, I'll jump because the world needs people who will take a massive leap of faith and trust that the kingdom of God is worth risking for. That the anointed one who has come to set the captives free and open the eyes of those who cannot see what the kingdom is really all about is worth a massive leap of faith So I pray that God will give us the courage and the hope to take a massive leap of faith in the midst of unfavorable social and political context. May we still be people who say, I will leap into the uncertainty, trusting God. Bring it up for me. I want to pray for you. And so I ask the worship team to put worship in the house because we are living at a very, very critical time in history. I would dare say that this is a Kairos moment for the church. That moment that God has broken into human history. I think that even though Roman oppression was real, maybe God chose to break in in the midst of oppression to show us that God is God. So would you please where you are Maybe stand to your feet if you're able, but for for sure rise in your heart and would you direct your attention to God, not to me? I told you yesterday, I loathe the thought that I'm entertaining anybody. I am on mission right now and I may never be here again, so I'm giving you everything I've got. Would you please close your eyes if you're able? Unless you're reading my lips, It for me lord god in the name of jesus we are your people and in many ways as we stand to our feet i sense and i can hear these words we're reporting for duty by standing to our feet we realize that we are the ambassadors of the kingdom of god that we come from another country that our citizenship is in the kingdom of god and in no party on this earth We belong to the true and living God you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords and as we stand to our feet and rise in our hearts we declare again the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives hallelujah we again declare that we belong to you and that we do your bidding that you are the king and that there is no power greater than your own no authority above yours oh God you are matchless you are matchless there's no one greater no one higher you are God all by yourself and we pledge our allegiance to you yet afresh On this day, as we begin a new year, we pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of almighty God and the people of God who believe the word of God clap their hands in the presence of God, declaring the might of God in the night.